Hi, this is Mickey Dolenz of the Monkees, and you're listening to Zilch. What number is this, Chip? Zilch 183, Monkees 101, Episode 16, Son of a Gypsy. <laughs> okay, no, I mean, like, don't get excited, man. It's because I'm short, I know. You're listening to Zilch, a Monkees podcast. Look, it's time for Zilch now, baby. Welcome back to Zilch. I'm Ken Mills, one of your hosts here today, and I am joined by Christine Wolf, the button queen herself. How are you doing, Christine? I'm great, Ken. How are you? Hi, everybody. It has been a long time. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's been since November, and you know, it was it was an on-purpose thing. We kind of took some time for the holidays. We've been doing this for quite a few years now, and it was just time to just take some time and read you know, enjoy the holidays and family and all that stuff. So that's right. Time well spent. That's what I always look at. You should be spending your time well. You know, that's that, absolutely right. Yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit about what we've been doing, what's up, and what's coming for Zilch. But first, let's talk about Mickey Dolan's on tour. I understand you have some tour dates for us. That's right. Yeah. You know, it's exciting. Um, Mickey is going back out on tour in the whole month of April. That is going to be on the heels of the sold out Flower Power Cruise. Um, and when they <laughs> they dock, I think on, on March 30th and on April 1st, he is hitting the road. So here we go. This is going to be a not exactly the Mickey Dolan's Remembers the Monkees. They are billing it as a headquarters celebration. So if you went to the Mickey Remembers the Monkees tour last year and you th- you're thinking of sitting this one out, think again. Um, I'm, I was going to do that and at the last minute a final show was announced and I grabbed tickets. So take my advice, get there. If you can, we are going to see Mickey on the road starting April 1st in Orlando, Florida. And then on the second in Clearwater, Florida, April 4th in Virginia beach, the fifth in Annapolis, Maryland, the seventh in Atlantic city, the 8th in Vienna, Virginia, the 10th in Chester, New York, the 11th in Huntington, New York, the 12th in Inglewood, New Jersey, the 14th in Ridgefield, Connecticut, the 15th in Beverly, Massachusetts, the 16th in Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania. Now that one was a new one on me. Ken, you're a Pennsylvania guy. Have you ever heard of Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania? Yes, I have. Yes, I have. Okay. There's also Intercourse, Pennsylvania, but that's a whole different show. Yeah, really. The 18th in Warren, Ohio. The 19th in Kent, Ohio. The 22nd in Royal Oak, Michigan. The 23rd in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. The 25th in Niagara Falls, Ontario. The 26th also in Niagara Falls. Oh, gosh. And the 27th, a three-night stint at uh, the Avalon Theater in Niagara Falls. Great for them. And April 29th in Minneapolis, Minnesota. That's the one that as soon as they announced that had been added, I thought, okay, I can't miss it. I'm going. So I hope to see some of you there, but I hope that you all see the show wherever you can get to it. And you and Andy Shaw are seeing Mickey when? The 29th in Minneapolis. That's right. Yep. I I wrangled him into coming. Well, I didn't ask. I I told him. I said, look, I got tickets. You're coming with me. So he's going to be my my chaperone, my bodyguard, uh, my my co-conspirator in all things monkey business uh, in Minneapolis. So hope to see some of you there. Right, and it's it's going to be great to see that that great band with Coco and John and Rich and Amin and Alex and 
uh, Wayne, the great Wayne Avers, just, it's just always a great show. So get this while you can, folks. Uh, you know, uh, while we were gone, there was the Peter Tork EP with This Stuff Never Gets Old came out, and I'm really digging that. Some more great music from the Monkeys verse from the great 7A from the great Peter Tork. Oh, uh, yeah. And they've got something new coming out, which is uh, one of their first uh, non-monkey-related albums. But it's a band called the Lemon Sherberts for, with their album, More Affordable Lemons. And we're going to be talking about that. And we're going to be letting people hear some of that when the time is ready. Uh, I've heard a lot of it, and it's really good. So if you're into power pop and great music, this is another good one from 7A. Like I said, the Monkey Universe, which I came up with a long time ago. So I'm taking credit for that. The Monkeyverse. Ta-da! <laughs> but just as that song, this stuff never gets old. You know, there's only so much of this stuff left, you know, around, right? We've got to soak it up while we can. Get all the good stuff, all the good music, all the good concerts. Uh, see Mickey. You will not regret it. And, you know, let's let's talk about Sarah Clark and what she's been up to. Okay. Sarah Clark, who's uh, doing this episode of Zilch. We're going to be doing Monkey 101, her and Roseanne Welsh. Uh, and Sarah's been very busy. She's been very busy. Uh, She's always very busy, yeah. but yeah, but especially so. She has her The Kind Leadership Challenge podcast. And, you know, I can't say, I mean, she's been getting around. Now, I can't say that Sarah's getting too big for her britches because she's getting super healthy. She's got a cape and everything. Uh, congrats to Sarah. We love seeing you become the best version of yourself. She's mm -hmm. lost some weight. She's getting healthy. We are so proud of you. And as a matter of fact, Sarah recently had an appearance on The Clip Out Show with Crystal and Tom O'Keefe. And here is Sarah to tell you all about it. Hey, Zilch Nation, Sarah here. I want to let you know that I will be appearing on the Clip Out Podcast, which is hosted by Crystal O'Keefe and friend of the Zilch Podcast, Tom O'Keefe. I'll be talking about my journey with the Peloton bike, my experiences with weight loss, and also how I got fit as somebody with a congenital heart defect. And of course, Tom and I managed to talk just a little bit of monkeys in there, too. So, if any of this sounds good to you, search for the Clip Out Podcast wherever you're listening to Zilch right now, and check out the episode. Thanks, and on with the show. She gets around. We're just glad to be part of this with Sarah. She's been here since the beginning. It's pretty cool. Absolutely. You could say she hangs out. That's right, she hangs out. <laughs> <laughs> And as far as Zilch goes, there's a bunch of stuff coming. I'm just going to say that a lot of things that you loved about Zilch in the past are returning, and we are expanding. So it's going to be an exciting year in Zilch. So that's how's that for a mystery cliffhanger? I'm intrigued and titillated. Da da da. <gasps> <gasps> Today on Zilch, Monkeys 101 with Dr. Sarah Clark and Dr. Roseanne Welsh are going to dip into Son of a Gypsy from December 26, 1966. And I always like to find out what songs were played on that. And the uh, there's there's a couple. Let's Dance On, I'm a Believer, which was the huge song. And they'll, they'll get into that. And David does a tiny bit of Clarksville. So are you ready to check out Monkey 101 today? I am. All right, Christine, I'm going to let you press the big button. Sound the alarm. Here we go. Welcome back to Monkeys 101, everyone. We're going to be talking about episode 16, and uh, I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Sarah Clark. <laughs> and I am Dr. Roseanne Welch. Yeah, i got to remember to throw that doctor in with these titles. Makes me sound legitimate. <laughs> you are, and we're taking our show seriously, and it's only fair to say that it deserves to be taken. I don't mean one episode, I mean the whole show. Exactly, totally. It is an important part of pop culture history and music history and TV history. And, you know, I think the TV history part of it sometimes gets overlooked a little bit because they were so important in music history. And, you know, this is Rosanna and I's little way of trying to rebalance the scales a little bit. Exactly. 
Yes. So log line for this episode, which is son of a gypsy, and we're going to get into that term a little later. Don't worry, we won't belabor it. But um, a band of gypsies kidnap Peter and force the monkeys to steal the Maltese vulture, har har, <laughs> in order to ransom him. For those keeping track, this is actually Peter kidnapping number one, not counting the times all four were kidnapped, which were monkeys in a ghost town and your friendly neighborhood kidnappers. <laughs> it, it's it's quite the plot point, I have to say. Then teleplay was by Gerald Gardner and D. Car- Caruso and Treva Silverman. And story was also by Treva Silverman. I believe last episode we talked a little bit about the distinction between teleplay and story. So you can go back to that and uh, yep. check that out if you have questions. Directed by one of our favorites, James Frawley. <laughs> filmed on October 26th and 27th of 1966, air date December 26th of 1966. Ratings were a 6.1 rating and a 30.1 share, which works out to about 8.8 million viewers. Came in third on the week behind G- Iron Horse and Gilligan's Island, respectively. <laughs> so... Uh, let's see. Moving on to In the News. On December 26th, Moelana Karenga establishes Kwanzaa. Um, that, that started in 1966. Um, also on the 26th, Jimi Hendrix writes Purple Haze backstage at the Uppercut Club in London. Woohoo. A little six degrees. Not even six degrees. There's one, one degree, degree separation there. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, a couple of days later, on the 28th, China performs a nuclear test at Lop Nor, People's Republic of China. December 28th was the 55th Davis Cup in Melbourne, and Australian Roy Emerson won. Yay. Yay. Um, January 1st, new FCC re- regulation came across. The FCC now required AM and FM sister stations to be at least 50% different in their, in their content. That was interesting to me because this was kind of early in, early in the evolution of FM. So it was interesting to see how that evolved. Right. Yeah. And then also on January 1st, two, I believe these were both former British colonies, St. Helena and Tonga. They both, um, well, uh, St. Helena adopted their constitution and Tonga revised their constitution. Mm-hmm. So lots more change in the world in the last week of 1966. And I want to do one quick programming note before we get into the top five. Unfortunately, um, other than Monkey's songs, you will not be hearing music clips of the top five anymore because uh, Ken discovered uncomfortably through some nasty grams that you cannot play Cuckoo on Spotify. So <laughs> rather than trying to go through all the record companies, we're going to skip it. But we encourage you, go stream, go listen, go play, recreate your own top five for the week. So starting at number five, up one, Sugartown by Nancy Sinatra. Number four, Unchanged, Her Dad, That's Life by Frank Sinatra. Ha-ha. That's yes. hilarious. Someone's got to go find out at what time ever was such a father-daughter pairing because, of course, we have Nat King Cole and Natalie Cole, but she does that by singing to his album after he's passed. Right. So wouldn't it be interesting to see if that has ever happened before that moment? Yeah, I mean, the only thing that immediately comes to mind is Miley Cyrus and Billy Ray Cyrus, but I don't think they were ever on the charts at the same time. No, well, but because of um the song he did with Little Naz, maybe, depends on where she was. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. I might have to check that out later. So Mm -hmm. Trivia. Trivia. (laughs) Number three, down to Winchester Cathedral by the new Vaudeville Band. Number two, up five, Snoopy and the Red Baron by the Royal Guardsmen. (laughs) I love this tune. That's a good one. And then number one, up to, finally, I'm a Believer by the Monkees. Now, you know what's cute about Snoopy? If you think about it, we're in 66, and I think the first Christmas episode was like 63 or 64. So putting them on television brings them into this larger popular culture world, not just someone looking at, you know, the the comics in the newspaper. Mm -hmm. So Snoopy becomes this sort of rebellious kind of anti-hero for the times, which is really interesting. Yes, it is. Yes, he becomes definitely a, an interesting 60s figure, which I think is probably why they brought in his buddy Woodstock a few years later. So. <laughs> yes, exactly. Are they, that's adorable. So the power of television. Yeah, very true. 
So that's our top five for the week. Moving on to the guest stars. Interestingly, all but two of the guest stars for this episode either have already appeared on the show or will be appearing in future episodes as well. And we are going to kick off with Jean Arnold, though this was her only appearance on The Monkees. Now, she was primarily a stage actor in regional theater, but she was also active on TV in basically the mid-60s to the early 70s. Most notably, she had a recurring role as Ellen Mason on Guiding Light, Mary Hamelmeyer on The Kara Williams Show, and she also had guest spots on I Spy, Bewitched, Farmer's Daughter, and My Three Sons, among others. It's fascinating because you can just see that each of these studios did still have their... I don't know the word I want. Their their cast of people that they had contracts with, so they just kept running them through the different shows. And I think when you were a kid, you started to notice and recognize that, but you didn't understand what it was all about business-wise. So that's how they kept working, which made people happy. We had gotten out of the contract system, thanks to Olivia de Havilland, in the 40s and 50s, but then TV sort of returned to it, and it did offer those kinds of character actors a guarantee that you'd have enough work. Yeah, and then you also, and we've talked about this earlier in earlier episodes, sometimes um, character actors would basically develop a good relationship with one or more um, casting directors. And so they would kind of tend to become their go-tos when casting uh, several, you know, particular types of roles, which I think we're going to get to in some of the other characters on this episode. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So moving on to Marco, played by Vincent Beck. Uh, we actually already saw and discussed him way back in the first episode when he mm-hmm. played the remarkably similar henchman Sigmund in Royal Flush. <laughs> and he will be back again next season as the remarkably similar henchman Ivan in the card-carrying red shoes. <laughs> like I said, you get to be phased with a casting director and... <laughs> you keep working. You keep, you keep working. working. You keep being the. Uh, you keep being the heavy. So and yeah. No. Uh, next up, Vic Tabak as Rocco. Uh, we discussed him when he played remarkably similar henchman <laughs> George in your friendly neighborhood kidnappers. He will be also be back next season as Monty Landis's henchman in Art for Monkey's Sake, which is not the picture frame. <laughs> no, no, different episode, different episode, and he gives us a bit of the. Uh, six degrees of separation, the way that so many people are interconnected, because many people will recognize him if they've seen reruns of the TV show, Alice. Yes. Uh, but in fact, he's the only character who f- continued over from the film, Alice doesn't live here anymore. And ah. that, oh, yes, that, that Alice is is a spinoff of that movie, but no one is the same except for Vic. Right. I had known it was a spinoff, but I hadn't realized he was, yeah, yeah, because I've, I've seen the movie, and I think I maybe saw a few episodes of Alice, the TV show, because it was like still on when I was a young kid, but I don't really remember much of the TV show. So, right. It's, um, it's similar to when MASH was turned from a film into a TV show, only Gary Berghoff continued right. his role as radar in both of those pieces that the entire cast was remade. So Vic Tabak is really well known for that. He was doing those kinds of indie movies in the period, but of course the movie Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore starred Ellen Burst who's an incredible actress, been around forever. She's currently appearing in The First Lady on Showtime, which uh, playing Sarah Delano Roosevelt, President mm. Roosevelt's mother. So she's had a hell of a career. Um, but her odd connection to the monkeys is that she was married for a time to Neil Burston, who also went by the name Neil Nephew. Uh, yes. And he wrote a couple of monkeys episodes, including our Christmas story. Mm-hmm. And he's um he's a sad story because at some point, and we're going to talk a little bit about words in this episode, um, he died by suicide yeah. after they divorced a few years. And we'll be discussing how words change and how it's fair to do that. I've only recently learned as a writer that um, people in the mental health world would prefer we say died by suicide instead of committed suicide because to commit it is to blame the victim for the problem. And I thought that was a really interesting thing to learn. I've always worried about him as a connection to the monkeys because it's a sad story. And when we think of our monkeys, we think of them as excitingly happy people. Um, but creative people sometimes have issues. And this was a case of that being true. Yep. Unfortunately, that is very true. 
So, well, moving on, we have Gene Dynarski as Zeppo. Um, he's also a repeater, but this is the first of his two appearances on the show. He will be back in Monkey Chow Maine as remarkably similar henchman Toto. <laughs> This is true. And the other, and to go to a fun fact, yes. of course, his character in this episode is Zeppo. Zeppo is not a Romani name in any way, shape, or form. No. But if you remember that all of our writers, when they were hired, were given two or three days of watching the Marx Brothers, they watched Zeppo Marx. Yes, that was, that, that was a very obvious nod. <laughs> <laughs> An obvious nod. And the fun thing about Zeppo, again, and funny enough, in the degrees of separation with your top five, he was married to Barbara Sinatra. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> he quit being an actor after a while. and got tired of it because his brothers had much more fun, and he became an agent. He was a very important agent in Hollywood for many, many years, not just representing his brothers, but many big-name people. And he had a lovely home in Palm Springs, which is also where Harpo Marx lived. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's really quite fun. Their story, if you don't know the Marx Brothers and you love the monkeys, you better go watch the Marx Brothers reruns. Yeah, absolutely. It's it, it's practically required viewing for us as well. Yes. <laughs> True. <laughs> but yes, um, he's got pretty, Gene Donarski has a pretty standard array of um, the guest appearances, a lot of the things in the usual shows. But he kept he kept his career a lot on longer than I think a lot of folks who appeared in the monkeys. And so there are a lot of shows and movies that a lot of our younger, like the Gen X crowd might be familiar with. Um, he showed up in Batman, Mission Impossible, Star Trek, Seinfeld, and Star Trek The Next Generation, which, speaking six degrees of separation, I don't know, know that this is the only connection to Patrick Stewart. I'm sure there's a bunch I'm not thinking of, but, you know, certainly, certainly a, a, a relatively close one so definitely definitely yep and then in a a monkey ladder career connections he also appears in the new mike hammer show which mickey also guested on at one point i don't think it was the same episode yep and he guest appeared on boy meets world (laughs) oh that's adorable yes that's adorable and for my fellow 90s gamers, this is a rare uh, Monkey's guest star who has a video game credit. He voiced Stalin in Command and Conquer Red Alert. Ah, that's very cool. And it's true. Many of these actors, as they get older and the video game world comes to be, they start to be the ones doing it first. It's not respectable. It's not necessary for an actor until, oh, my goodness. Now, how many really big name actors, including uh, Keanu Reeves, is doing video game voices and characters. It's hilarious. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, it's another spot where, you know, you can kind of shift into voice work and, and, and video game work and those sorts of things. So, and I can see him doing a pretty good stall. And I, I, mean, I think I played that game back in the day. So it's been a while. Have <laughs> fun. Yeah. Yep. yep. And then, uh, next we have Mario Rocuso as Kiko. Uh, this was his only appearance on the monkeys. Um, but I think that was just cause he was so in demand. Uh, he was active from 1960 to 2012. A lot of his work was on police shows. Um, he was on The Untouchables, Ironside, Beretto, Nero Wolf, Barney Miller, Hill Street Blues. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the seventies, he started getting more into like, um, sitcoms and just kind of non, non-cop shows in general. Um, All in the Family, another one who was on Alice, um, Star Trek Next Generation, Mr. Belvedere, Murder She Wrote, Golden Girls, Roseanne, and The Drew Carey Show. Woo-hoo. Think about that for a moment. We've got somebody who was here on this episode today who basically was in the, the business from Ironside to the Drew Carey Show. That's quite the span. It was pretty amazing. And the Drew Carey Show was set in Cleveland, which is where I'm from. So yay for the Drew Carey Show. Woohoo! Yay, Cleveland. <laughs> and then uh, wrapping up, uh, we have Elizabeth Camp as Madame Rothma. This was at Rothna. This was actually the second of two appearances on the show. Uh, we actually discussed her two episodes back when she appeared as the memorably named woman in Dance Monkey Dance. <laughs> uh, oh, and James Frawley gave himself a cameo as the Yugoslavian diplomat. Yes, he did, which is a fun thing that he didn't always do. So it's kind of Yeah, I, I think his cameo in Muppet Movie was better, but that wasn't bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So there were several things we wanted to discuss in this episode. We kind of discussed the six degrees of separation stuff that we were going to talk about, um, especially around Vic Tabak. Um, I also want, Roseanne and I also kind of want to talk about the word, um, gypsy a little bit, because I, I struggle with this because it's not, 
it's certainly not the worst word out there in creation. And, and we also covered a lot of this ground in the monkey, ch- our kind of, we need to talk about monkey chow main episode. So we don't want to belabor the point, but I kind of struggled with myself about how I wanted to use the word gypsy in describing this episode. And the conclusion I came to is I used it in the title because it was in the title. And if it was in a context where they had described themselves as gypsy in the script, I wouldn't, I, I'm going to kind of go ahead and use that word, but I'm going to start to steer away from it as much as I can. And that is kind of where I set, set the middle ground with, myself. And Roseanne, do you have any further thoughts on this that you want to share? Just similarly, I don't have a problem when people would like a particular phrase used about them as opposed to a different phrase. I have no problem changing. And I think it's one of those things we learn as we get older. It's about respect. Uh, we discussed briefly earlier that, you know, as kids, when people were negotiating for things and felt they didn't get the price they, they deserved, um, they were, the phrase was that you had been gypped. And never until I was a grown-up did I realize that that was a slur. So I don't say that anymore, and it doesn't hurt me not to say that anymore. So I think it's fair that we try to be representative of people as they would prefer. Yeah, absolutely. If it doesn't, you know, I think Jefferson said, if it it doesn't pick my pocket or break my leg. So, you know, I, I, I certainly can avoid that word or other, you know, words to that that degree. And, you know, it kind of touches on some of the stuff we were talking about earlier. And then I also kind of want to get Roseanne's thoughts about um, something else about this script, because... You know, I was rewatching this episode and reacquainting myself with it, and I was like, oh, yeah, this kind of standard issue, uh, Dean, you know, uh, Caruso and Gardner, kind of hokey, kind of, you know, a little falling back on the cliches, stereotypes a little bit. And then I notice on the, on the credit screen, Treva Silverman's name. I would not at first glance have thought of this as a Treva episode. And there she was. She came up with the original story concept and apparently enough of what she's, she wrote stayed in it that she got one of, she was one of the writers credited for the episode. Exactly. I don't think that we recognize enough how people bring their own, um, their own interests into what they write. They always do. You have to think about it. In this case, First of all, we have established in the past that when asked, she said her favorite monkey was Peter. So as we'll notice in the summation, Peter is playing more naive than stupid. She did not think of him as stupid. She didn't like that the group had chosen that as the easy way to get comedy. She really thought he was the best looking, and that was her choice. So we'll see him be that Peter. He will be her Peter, not the Peter that everyone else agreed to. And I think it's really interesting if you love a show and you watch it um, and you see a main character behaving slightly differently sometimes, you should go and look at who wrote it, and you will notice that different people have different impressions. Um, there was a show called Northern Exposure, which I quite adored. Oh, yes. And, yes, Rob Morrow starred in that. Mm-hmm. And you could notice in this case that at a certain point, he was a doctor who was sent to Alaska to work for five years. And the audience fell in love with the town he was in. And slowly so did he. But every now and then, there'd be an episode where he would fall back on being whiny and hate it. And it turned out to be the same set of producers who had written those episodes. They could not, they thought that was the point of the show. And they did not allow that character in their mind to grow up and enjoy the place as other writers were. So it was a really interesting quirk that you could see repeated only in the episodes they wrote. So similarly, we're going to see Treva always be looking at Peter in that way. But I also think the tiny thing you can notice, the difference between when men write something and women write something not only do we have a female throwing the party that sets this show off, we have the mother of this family, not the father. There's no reason it can't be the father, except Treva wrote it, and she wrote a part for a cool female matriarch. I think you see that often. I have a whole lecture on my YouTube channel about how the Gidget show, which of course came the year before our guys, um, how Gidget, when written by female characters, did smart things and learned, and when written by male writers did stupid things and agreed with how the world had been as opposed to where it was going. Very interesting thing to observe. Didn't expect that. Yeah. And I think you and I have talked about Gidget a little bit, I think maybe in an earlier episode and, and yeah, I saw that come up on your YouTube and I'm going to have to check that out. Cause I think that's very interesting. It is. So Treva definitely put her mark on this episode. I think you totally noticed that. And I think it's really true. Um, Gardner and Crusoe got the names on everything because they were the showrunners. Yeah, very true. And, and, you know, yeah, yeah, Peter is definitely, 
closer to Trevis' typical uh, characterization of him. And also, Davey has more uh, more to do than usual. I mean, he keeps his shirt on the entire episode. My goodness. <laughs> he's not just a pretty boy. That's no, he, he's, he goes in to crack the safe, you know? <laughs> exactly. So. Yeah. So. so there's our kind of our general thoughts about the episode. And now we will get into our recap. Relax, my sons. We are sure to be chosen to play at Madame Miranda's affair. Man, I sure hope we get this booking. What if we don't get the gig? Oh, relax. Well, yeah, everybody likes rock and roll. Yeah. Once you are at party, my grub chicks, then you will steal the priceless Maltese vulture. But suppose we are not hired, Mama. Relax, Marco. Everybody loves gypsy music. Good morning, gypsy. Good morning, monkey. Congratulations, monkeys. I've decided that you are to play at my ball. Oh, oh great. Right. 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 you do it. <laughs> I'll see you here at 8 on Saturday night. Saturday night. Bye bye, Marky. Bye bye, gypsies. Don't call us. They'll call you. He is going through a stage. Oh, I'm really glad to hear that. Marco's sullen moods only last three years. <laughs> but why does he want to kill us? Marco feels badly that we did not get the job. <laughs> I didn't see that. But we do not want you to think that gypsies are vengeful people. Hmm. That's, That's good. good. <laughs> Don't bite your nails, darling. That's, That's bad. bad. Nonsense. You must give us a chance to show there are no hard feelings. You must come to our camp. Oh, camp. Swimming, canoeing, arts and crafts. Good! You will be there at noon tomorrow. And we will show you that a gypsy knows how to laugh. (laughs) The monkeys audition to perform at a ball for the wealthy Madame Rantha, along with a group of gypsies, Maria and her four sons, Marco, Rocco, Zeppo, and Kiko. Uh, when Madame Rantha chooses the monkeys over the gypsies, they are angered because, of course, they were hoping to steal the Maltese vulture. Uh, however... <laughs> let's pause a bit, just in case in anybody, case anybody doesn't get the reference. <laughs> ...doesn't understand the Maltese vulture versus the Maltese falcon, which, of course, is the famous Humphrey Bogart and Peter Lorre um, film, which is actually the third time that movie, that story was told on film. Huh. The first two failed. And in the days before there were DVDs and streaming, they could remake a movie every so many years because you had no other way to see it. So they would just redo scripts. Mm-hmm. And by virtue of the alchemy of this group of actors together, that's the version that worked and became a classic. So if you have never seen The Maltese Falcon, one must see it. Oh yeah, it's a, it's an excellent movie. Anybody here here who's a movie buff who has not seen it should. So, yeah. So, frustrated those though they are, Maria invites the band to their camp to prove there's no hard feelings. But the monkeys are freaked out, which is understandable cuz like last week they went to Mrs. Batterly's tea room and, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> so, the monkeys are reluctantly arrive at the camp and their hosts soon have them dressed in gypsy outfits and gives them each good luck charms. Uh, afterwards, the, the family takes them around to entertain them, but unbeknownst to them, Maria tells Marco to enact their plans to capture the monkeys. Um, Rocco shows Mickey the fine arts of pre- predicting the future via tea leaves, uh, whereupon Mickey drinks a mug of tea spiked with uh, poison rendering him unconscious. Um, True. Yep. Marco shows Davy how to fight with a switchblade and uh, ends up being used for target practice. <laughs> uh, Kiko teaches Peter a lesson in dancing until he is all wrapped up in scarves. <laughs> and uh, Zeppo instructs Mike on phrenology, but unfortunately he didn't already have any bumps on his head, so he knocked him out with a mallet. <laughs> Notice again, quickly, the Peter moment. Dancing. That's an elegant thing to do, though he does it, you know, goofily. Yes. That's not a dangerous or silly thing to do. Yes, very true. 
So once they are all tied up, Maria threatens them. Um, they either have to steal the help steal the Maltese vulture or be po- tortured by red hot pokers. Um, then, of course, we have a bit of an imagination sequence, imagining the gypsies putting Davy on the rack, which is basically just an elaborate excuse to invert the "I am standing up" running gag. <laughs> reminds me of Mm -hmm. Princess Bride. Oh, yes. Very true. You don't know how writers are influenced by things they've seen in their childhood. Yeah, and, and, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, there's not much overt monkeys homage in Princess Bride, but there is a certain vibe, shall we say. Yes, the vibe, exactly. It's quite fun. It is a little bit like Monkey's Fairy Tale. (laughs) They are not dissimilar. (laughs) A little less drag, but other than that. <laughs> True. Yes. So back to reality. Uh, Maria gives the guys one last chance to reconsider and then orders Marco to use the poker on them. And then the monkeys finally consent to steal the vulture for Maria. Wait, no, not that. You leave us little choice. All right. We will steal the Maltese vulture. How was that? That sounds great. Oh, yes, I did that. <laughs> However, the gypsies decide to hold Peter as a hostage to make sure they deliver the vulture by midnight and sends Marco to perform in his place. (laughs) Um, After their performance at the party, the monkeys try unsuccessfully to warn Madame Rantha. Then uh, Mickey reveals the dastardly plans to one of the guests and our director, James Frawley. But he is Yugoslavian and doesn't understand English. (laughs) Bad immigrant joke. Bad but. immigrant joke. And, like, wasn't he supposed to be, like, the ambassador or something? One would hope he'd have, like, at least a li- Anyway. Exactly. <laughs> I'm trying what to impose logic is. on this thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, at that point, Mike and Davey throw a message inside a bottle out the window, um, but they just end up getting two cents deposit because, of course, uh, Marco then sends them to dispose of the two guards standing outside the bedroom where the vulture is hidden. Mike and Mickey try to create a diversion for the guards. Help, 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 robbery. Who is this masked man, anyway? Help, help, gun. Oh, terra, terra, burglar. Burglar, help. Help, help. Wallet, mine, his now. Gun. Hey, robbery. Look, it's robbery. We're not supposed to leave our post. Finally, Mike and Mickey stage a phony arson by lighting two matches, uh, which doesn't work. But when they toss their matches onto the floor, the guards finally advance on them for littering, which allows Davy to sneak in the room. <laughs> um, at this point, kind of a amusing nod, talking of references, definitely a nod to uh, Mary Poppins' carpet bag from a couple of years earlier. Uh, he starts pulling out an arsenal of tools from his case, which uh, includes uh, explosive devices, clamps, stethoscope, a rather large sledgehammer, and a rabbit. Because why not? Why? It's, well, you know, there's magic involved somewhere. They've had rabbits out of hats. Other, you know, we'll have one in monkey's paw. So exactly, monkey. It, it's monkey magic. Though this one was a stuffed rabbit. So um, <laughs> he then takes the dynamite to the safe in an attempt to blow it up, but ends up detonating the lamp instead. Um, then, using the stethoscope, he tries to use, tries to crack the combination, only to hear the tune of "Last Train to Clarksville," because of course. <laughs> Yep. Uh, and then at that point, uh, an interesting little continuity flub there. The, the clamps to, for the explosives were still attached to the safe when Davy has to hide because Madame Rantha is entering the room. Mm-hmm. Um, but they aren't attached when she goes to the safe and uh, opens it, which apparently was unlocked the whole time, um, <laughs> of course, uh, to show off the jewel-encrusted Maltese vulture. Uh, Mike and Mickey suddenly enter, pretending to be a couple of drunk party guests. Uh, and then it's midnight. Uh, Davy thinks quickly, snatches the vulture from Madame Rantha, and throws it out the window into Peter's hands, thus mm-hmm. saving him from 
certain death. Um, <laughs> Madame Rantha spots Peter with the vulture outside the window, orders the gypsies to grab him. Uh, later, uh, Maria accuses Davy and Peter of masterminding the theft. And uh, the, as the monkeys are being apprehended for stealing the vulture, uh, Madame Rantha thanks Maria and asks her to take anything she wants, which, of course, was the vulture. <laughs> um, and then the guys try to get it back from the gypsies and a mad romp set to I'm a believer in Seuss. Ta-da. Yep. The kind of number sort- one song of the week. Number one song of the week. It's been in like the last, I don't know, six, seven episodes, something like that. <laughs> and is in this one, of course. And of course, everything wraps up with the monkeys rounding up the gypsies in sort of a mock football game. So there you go. Um, then we're getting to the denouement after the Maltese vulture is returned to Madame Rantha and the cops arrive. Maria vows that she and her boys will go legitimate since they've learned they can make a faster buck in showbiz, bids them farewell. But then they discover, then Mike and Davey discover their watches are missing. Mickey discovers mm-hmm. his wallet missing. And then they all discover that Peter is missing. <laughs> End episode. <laughs> there you go. There you go. There you go, folks. Um... A fun episode. I mean, it's, again, it's not really breaking any new narrative ground, but they do some fun things, especially with Davy and Peter, so. They do. They do. And interestingly enough, when you noted continuity, it's very funny, but um, in the history of film, the person who invented the idea that there should be a continuity person, who in the day was called the continuity girl, was a female writer named Sarah Y. Mason, who people can look up on Wikipedia or all over the, uh, all over the web, and she came up with that idea on working on a film in Arizona in like 196 or eight or something like that. And from that, she joined the Hollywood world and became a screenwriter and got an Oscar for adapting the very first version film version of little women. Oh, wow. I did not know it. I knew that. I think I vaguely remembered the name, but I I did not know that was what she was known for. Cool. Very cool. (laughs) Very awesome. Um, let's see. And, and you know what? I, I should not, it's it's a wonder we don't mention more continuity flubs in like every episode because <laughs> like this episode was recorded in two days and that is not uncommon. Most monkeys sometimes there were three day shoots, but a lot of times they were two day. And you've got to remember that they are they cranked out thirty two episodes this first uh, season. In fact, I mm-hmm. forgot to mention this is the halfway mark of the first season. Um, and you know you've got f- your four principles are basically in the recording studio all night when they're not Mm -hmm. running around on tour. It's, it's, it really is a credit to everybody behind the scenes that this show actually is a solid TV show. It is not just kind of a thrown together infomercial for the records. Oh goodness. No. And in fact, you're right. Normally, because this is an interesting sitcom for its day because Normally, you filmed everything on a set. So think of Bewitched or those shows, I Dream of Genie. The offices, the houses, that's it. They were all standard sets, and you just worked in that area. You would write the script. You would have a table read. You know, every show filmed on a different day, sometimes Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whatever. But mm-hmm. let's just take a regular week. So if you had the script ready, writers are working over the weekend. On Monday, you'd have a reading with the actors. And from that, the writers would make any changes they felt were necessary. On Tuesday, they'd already start blocking it in where are you standing and what are you doing in terms of at the moment you say these various lines while still doing some rewrites as they saw fit. Then they would do without book. So they had to have the stuff memorized, let's say by Wednesday. So a couple we- a couple days into the filming. Then Thursday, you do a dress rehearsal because you have to see how you perform with the clothing, which sometimes can be funny or silly or whatever. And then Friday, you would normally perform in front of your audience. That's that's how you would do a set piece like that because they did not film like that. They had this weird sort of I would obviously they're not a drama D, but they filmed in that way that you went on location often. You were in different places. You weren't always in the pad. You weren't always on standard sets. So they had to put in time for that. That's transporting all your equipment to a different location, even if it's on the the lot somewhere, you know, the fake island and those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. You still had to travel with everybody. And that could be a pain in the butt. So the fact that they did it all in a couple of days is remarkable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were basically in, they weren't even really in the pad very much. I'm trying to think Mm -hmm. if they were in the pad at all. 
No, I think this one. It. No, because we meet yeah. them at the, 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 exactly. And then they go off in the woods. Right. And, and, and it seems like that, that, that hallway they were in a lot is in a lot of episodes in that ballroom set. My goodness. It gets redressed as everything throughout the <laughs> exactly. series. It, it appears again and again and again. And, uh, you know, I'm 99% sure the stuff in the camp was just, you know, some spot, some woody spot on the ranch, but. Oh, uh, totally. It's totally. The only yeah. time, you know, funny enough, it's of course the pilot is when they were in the actual hotel. Because, and the fake, the, the building we saw as their place that never existed again, because they hadn't had, they hadn't built sets because the show wasn't picked up yet. Right. I think I recall reading somewhere that was actually the interior of the beach house that they shoot as the exterior, mm-hmm. you know, that, that they used throughout the show. So right. they just booked that location for the day. Yeah. Yeah. Or so. two. Yeah, but that is that house, just the inside of it, which is interesting to me. Right. So amazing amount of work. And I remember reading, you know, in many things about James Frawley, normally you do something like 30 setups and that means changing the camera position, moving Mm -hmm. it around, setting up the tracks. They would do some, somewhere near 80 some days and new directors didn't realize that was overworking them. They were having so much fun. They didn't care. Uh, but it shows you how much you can get done when you're really cramming. Yes. <laughs> very true. Very true. Of course, the question is how sustainable that is, but. <laughs> well, there you go. Not, not in, when they were very young. You wouldn't do that with the Golden Girls. They were young. They were enthusiastic and it lasted two seasons. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, moving on to songs for this episode. Well, really just one song, uh, aside from the snippet of Clarksville when Davey was trying to crack the safe that I mentioned earlier. We also had, of course, uh, the romp to I'm a Believer, and we covered those credits back in One Man Shy, and I think it's been in pretty much every episode since One Man Shy, <laughs> and it has a few more, I believe, hence the number one on Billboard is mentioned above. So, <laughs> uh, so next time we have episode 17, The Case of of the missing monkey. Uh, we are done with Romany stereotypes for a while, but we are not done with kidnapping Peter. Yeah. Um, well, if he's the most naive slash stupidest one, he's the easiest to get. He can't oh, kidnap yeah. Mike. He's too smart. No, no. I mean, yeah, it, it totally makes sense. It's just amusing. And I, 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 I'm, I'm thinking I may keep a running tally of how many times he gets, because it feels like he's kidnapped or taken hostage or, is going to be abducted by the devil or, you know, whatever. So many, it, it feels like it's in half the episodes. And I wonder if it really was, or if it's just that they were all uh-huh, so your memorable. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but in any case, he is kidnapped in this ep- episode, uh, to a rest home where kidnapped Peter and an esteemed scientist face a mad scientist insidious brain drain. Um, I would make an argument. This is that this is actually like maybe the most like psychologically creepy episode of the whole show. <laughs> I would agree with you. It's, uh, it's not comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it is like, I mean, we have other ones that like play with horror movie tropes, but this is the only one to me that feels like really kind of oogie, but we will get into that next yeah. time. Um, anything else you want to add? No, I think this is a fun one. I think, um, just in terms of relevance of Treva Silverman, there's some articles you can read right now because the film, The Lost City is out. Mm. And there have been a couple of really good articles that say Romancing the Stone, which is what she did a polish on before it could get made, um, has set the tone. And that's why Sandra Bullock is this interesting female character in The Lost City, very reminiscent to Kathleen Turner in Romancing the Stone. And it was, the Kathleen Turner character that Treva was hired to beef up so that she would be as equally interesting as Michael Douglas. So the, again, the influence of one writer's work some 30 years ago, how that's still affecting what people watch today is very interesting to me. Very interesting and very fascinating to listen. And uh, we hope you will join us next time to learn more about whatever we find out about Hollywood and the monkeys and all of these wonderful things uh, next time on Monkeys 101. Bye-bye. Bye. Dr. Roseanne Welch is a Mickey girl and the author of Why the Monkeys Matter, Teenagers, Television, and American Pop Culture. Dr. Sarah Clark is an April Conquest and proud of it. When not podcasting here at Zilch, a Monkeys podcast, or writing at her blog, Fandom Lenses, her not-terribly-secret identity, she can be found leading a university library in the Philadelphia area. Sarah is convinced that her utter inability to understand Head when she was 11 sparked the intellectual curiosity that led her into academia. If only she'd known the guys themselves didn't understand Head either. 
Hey, Zilch Nation, Sarah Clark here, and I'd like to let you know about the Kind Leadership Challenge podcast, where I empower educational and library leaders to detox their organizations. My PhD in higher ed leadership, my experience coaching, consulting, and presenting to library leaders all over the world, and a 17-year career in libraries from the front desk to the dean's office taught me that leaders don't have to be perfect to build a better world. And now I want to share that same leadership lesson with all of you educators and librarians listening. And if you aren't a teacher or a librarian, please share this with a friend who is. Head on over to kindleadershipchallenge.com or just type Kind Leadership Challenge into your podcast app. If nothing else, check out episode 12 to learn how Ken and I handle the leadership challenge here at Zilch. Thanks in advance for checking out the show and stay kind now. Hello, this is Peter Mills. I'm the author of the book, The Monkeys, Head and the Sixties, which is the first in-depth study of their 1968 movie. It looks at the history of the band right from their beginnings in 1965, right through their success, the movie, the seventies comebacks. The book also looks at the 33 and a third TV special, the Monkeys MTV revival, a lizard sunning itself on a rock, all the way through to 2016's Good Times. The book is available from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and no doubt other online stores, and is also available as a Kindle download. Check out The Monkeys, Head, and The Sixties. Well, thank you, Sarah Clark and Roseanne Welsh, for another fine Monkeys 101. It is time to wrap this up. So stay tuned for more Zilch. We are bringing you more, and it's going to be a fun year, it looks like. Stick around. You'll want to find out more. That's right. A lot of things you love about Zilch are coming back this year and expanding. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. That's right. That's all we can say. So uh, I can say no more. Uh, please, say no more. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's a Beatles help joke, if you don't know. So anyway, so we'll see you on the next episode of Zilch. Say see ya, Christy. See ya, Christine. And that's our show. Zilch is an online nonprofit monkeys audio fancy made by fans for fans. Any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners. We are not related to the monkeys or any of their members, past or present. We are not affiliated with Rhino or Ray Bird. If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes and buy it. If you enjoyed the show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein, saying always take some time to monkey around.